Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today on the show, we're going to talk a little about crop desiccation. But if you've got any questions for us or if there's anything you'd like to talk about that's happening on your farm right now, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com, or find us on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. So my brother Darren should be joining us hopefully late in the show today. He's out on the road a little bit, as I have been for the last few days. Uh, a couple of days ago, I was in North Dakota doing some meetings, and then yesterday I, I went all through Illinois. And so people, of course, ask me, well, how's the crop look everywhere? <laughs> you know, from the road, <laughs> it's really hard to tell. I mean, I know that in North Dakota there was a lot of prevent plant, and so regardless of what the yield ends up being, there are so many acres that were taken out of production, the total crop is going to be significantly less than last year. In Illinois, I talked to a few guys about drought, yet when I'm driving through Illinois, I mean, it doesn't look like the drought that I've got here where we've had very little rain for two years. But still, I mean, it's very likely that yields could be down a little bit in certain areas there as well. But as you know, rain is spotty, and so to try to say, oh, on average, here's where we're at, that's really hard to do. Um, so anyway, our topic today is crop desiccation. And I, I've talked a little bit about this the last couple of weeks at some of these meetings I've done with farmers throughout the country. And I, I just have said a couple of things. Number one, I am really cautious before I will ever advise anybody to do a crop desiccation. Oh, and by the way, I should let me explain. If you're not familiar with, with what crop desiccation is, it's basically killing off the crop. So it's easier to harvest or so you can harvest more quickly. There's also what we would call pre-harvest burndown. That's all about killing the weeds that are out there. Now, Granted, most of the time you're going to kill the crop off too, but it's two separate things. So if you're after the weeds, we just call that pre-harvest burndown. If you're trying to get out there to harvest earlier or harvest easier, we call that crop desiccation. Either way, my biggest concern is this. Don't do it too early. If you do it too early and your grain isn't totally mature, your grain isn't completely filled, then you will have yield loss and you very likely are going to have quality concerns with your grain as well. So I just, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't like it. I try to avoid it at all costs on our farm. But I certainly understand where there are situations where that fits. So that's why we're going to talk about that just a little bit today and talk a little about the products and the timing and that kind of stuff. But again, my biggest concern is just don't be too early. As a correlation to that, almost every single fall, I will hear farmers, at least in our region of the country, we farm in South Dakota, but we're right by the Minnesota and Iowa borders. But anyway, in our region of the country, almost every fall, people will say, boy, I hope I get a frost now so I can get out and harvest my beans. <laughs> I'm like, no, don't root for a frost. When the frost holds off, that's typically when we have the highest yields because it gives your, your plants, and granted, not all of them, but some of them, a chance to finish filling out. Where the frustration comes with a lot of people is where they see, oh, part of the field's fit, the rest of the field is not fit 
to harvest and it doesn't look like it's close. So that's where they want this early frost. And again, I don't want that ever. What I do and what I have our guys do on our farm is we just go out and harvest areas and fields. And I know that's more work, but if the grain is fit, we want to take it. Yesterday in the show, we were talking just a little about drought and corn that had gone down in the last couple of years in drought areas. I'm really worried about that this year. If you look at the drought map, the new one just came out today. And I was going through this with an agronomist. And he goes, whoa, I didn't realize there was quite that much drought out there. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, there is. I've been traveling around the country and uh, there are certain areas that are really, really bad. But the reason why I bring that up is I said yesterday, back in 2012, we harvested a month. We started har- harvesting our corn a month earlier than normal. So I just want you to be ready to go. I don't care what crop you have. I don't care what things are like in your area. I just want you to make sure you're checking your fields on a regular basis because if you have even areas in fields where the grain is fit to harvest, go get it. Because if you don't, you let it sit there and then all of a sudden it's two, three weeks later, well, you're going to have some grain on the ground. You might have some full plants on the ground and you don't want that. Because not only is it yield loss and income loss for this year, but now you got to try to clean that stuff up. You've created more weeds for next year. So anyway, uh, to come back on this crop desiccation thing, more people that I work with ask about the pre-harvest burndown side. So they, they really, you know, yeah, they'd like to have all the stems dried and everything else so harvest is easy with the crop, but they're trying to kill off the weeds. And I'll, I'll just say we talk to a lot of people, uh, let's call it late in the season, after tassel in corn or when the beans are huge. And they're like, oh, boy, I got a bunch of weeds out there still. Can I spray a herbicide? There are some products that can be used in certain situations for those very late weeds. I just don't like seeing that because when you do that, sometimes you create issues with the crop. You can actually hurt the crop. And yeah, you might kill some weeds, but what ends up happening a lot of times is these weeds are now huge. You go spray even a full rate of herbicide on, it probably isn't going to kill them or at least kill them all. And now you have more weeds that could potentially become resistant in the future or at least certainly more tolerant. So this is kind of why we go back to this whole weed control thing. And talking about, all right, number one, we want to see you put down good pre-emerge herbicides. Number two, you've got to have lots of residual herbicides, pre and or post. And then the third thing is you want to try everything you can to raise a great crop. Crop canopy is the very best weed killer there is. And so that's why, that's in part why we want to have that nice thick crop stand. And then we don't have as many weeds and we certainly don't have the really, really late season weeds to deal with. All right, again, we'll talk crop desiccation here on the show today. Stay tuned. If we only had 20 words to talk about Ag Biome, we would say we are agricultural innovators focused on unlocking the power of the microbial world to deliver unique, effective crop protection solutions. If we only had five words, we'd say learn more at agbiome.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from FarmShop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit FarmShopMFG.com for more. 
Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get maximum spray drift control with Pentair Hypro Ultra Low Drift Max Nozzles, the ideal nozzle for dicamba and 240 applications, providing up to 95% drift reduction. Ensure you get the best coverage on hard-to-hit targets. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight. Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact eMERGE planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in, and Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here live in the Morton studio. Today on the show, we're talking a little about crop desiccation. But if there's anything you would like to talk about other than that, we're happy to take your phone call, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You could also email us, radio at agphd.com. All right, so our first guest on the show today is Rob Dedman down in the state of Arkansas. Rob, how are you doing today? Hi, Brian. How are you today? Excellent. So, Rob, um, you've been a consultant for a long time. What crops do you work with down in your region where a farmer would need to, at least occasionally, do a crop desiccation? Oh, uh, you know, so we've the, the crops that we're going to desiccate, which is, is going to be, you know, rice, um, which we started, you know, with rice and cotton. We did defoliate the cotton, which is the same thing as desiccating it. And, and then we... Um, we use sodium chlorate to, to desiccate the rice. And then, you know, with, with soybeans yielding where they yield today and plants producing the biomass that they produce today, we've had to start uh, desiccating soybeans in the last several years. So my concern is always being out there too early. What are you looking for for timing, and how do you advise guys so they don't get out there too early and actually hurt their crop yield? Yeah, that that's a million-dollar question, you know, especially on soybeans. Um, it's just, you know, I tell guys, this is an, it's an art. It's, it's more of an art than, than a, than a science. And, you know, I think if you're out there, I think the main thing to do is to make sure you've got some mature pods on that plant and, and, you know, the, what I call yellow pods. But if you fellas got more green pods, then, then I think you need to be careful of that because if you take the leaves off and shut that plant down too quick, are we going to create a lot of butter beans? And, and then how much are we going to affect uh, seed size when we dry them down too fast? Right. I think that's the million-dollar question. Well, that's why I asked it, Rob. So I just figured you'd have the million-dollar answer for us. Man, I asked you the question <laughs> right back there because I'm still looking for that million-dollar answer. You know, I mean, it's, I know that I'm looking – 
you know, I want a little, I really want a little bit of leaf drop to start occurring. Um, I do not like to go out there with a, a completely immature crop and start trying to desiccate. You know, I'm going to say, start looking at that R7 growth stage and, uh, I'm looking for, you know, I'll, I want to see some mature pods on that stalk. And when I see that, I'm comfortable with going. So with soybeans, though, let's talk just a little more about that because we raise a lot of soybeans, too. And I'm just I'm not a real big believer in the desiccation thing because my problem is I have so much variability in some of our fields. So I got some areas that are, are fit and ready to go. And then I got other areas. They're not even close. And so I just worry that I'm going to hurt those those other areas. So we end up running green stalks, green stems through the combine a lot, and we have to go slower and everything else. But I just figure, well, it's something that I got to live with. We're getting higher yields, but that's my problem. So I assume that's the reason why a lot of these guys want to do this desiccation is so the stems are are just basically more fit so they can go through the combine easier, right? Well, yeah, that, and, and then there's just so much leaf material anymore. You know, especially in the south down here, because, I mean, you know, like when you guys start harvesting soybeans, you're starting to get some cooler temperatures. Yeah. Um, a lot of times you're not far off from a frost and the plants are going to get shut down. You know, we're harvesting soybeans right now. We've got we've got 600 acres of soybeans right now that are desiccated, been desiccated for 10 days. This is one of the bad things about desiccation. It's rained for the last seven days. They're sitting out there ready to harvest. All we're doing right now is losing seed quality and test weight. So I mean, that that's one of the big drawbacks to it. But you know, I'm I'm I want to desiccate for you know to get them ready, just like you said, to and, and for harvest efficiency, just like you said. That's that's the two things that we're looking for. And 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 on the uniformity part, you know, you're you're. It sounded like to me that you're you're desiccating for what's ready early. I'm going to desiccate for what's going to be ready later or what I see this majority of the field is telling me. So what are you using in soybeans for a desiccant? Well, there, there's so many options. In Arkansas, probably one of our favorite uh, is gramoxone. Sure. Uh, usually about a pint of gramoxone. Mm-hmm. It can be difficult to put that out, especially like early right now because there's so many crops out there that are immature. Yep. So if you have any kind of drift, you damage other people's crops. So that's right. that's that's hard to do. Yep. Uh, sharpen and sodium chlorate's probably one of the uh, one of the bigger options. One of the good options. Sure. Yeah, I know you mentioned that for the rice. Tell us just a little bit about the rice. We we barely ever talk about rice production here on the show. So why does a farmer need to do desiccation with rice? And talk to us a little about the timing there as well. Well, so if we think about a, you know, if we think about a 200 bushel rice crop, we got to also remember that with that, there's there's about five and a half tons of of biomass out there. Okay. And and when you think about that much biomass, and you're wanting to harvest that that grain, which sits down into that canopy, some, we put that sodium that sodium chlorate out there in order to to desiccate that flag leaf and the upper part of that plant. So we're drying the upper part of that plant out in order to when we run that combine through there. We're gonna we're gonna harvest just right below that that the the, the grain. You know, we're just barely gonna clip the heads out of the out of the top of that plant. Mm-hmm. And, and that's our that's our advance, That's our that's our goal with with desiccating. Um, 
with rice. And then, then, then we don't want to have the, uh, the, the flag leaf and all that green foliage is going to run the moisture up on a sample. It's going to put more green material into the combine. It's going to in turn be more green leaf material going into the grain bins when we try to dry. It's just going to make it a more difficult process to dry. So is this the common practice, spraying the sodium chlorate on rice? I mean, does everybody do that, or do, you, do just some people do it? What, what, I mean, how common is desiccation, I guess, is my question in rice. So, so in rice, it's really common. I'm going to say 75% of the acres in Arkansas are probably desiccated. Hmm. Uh, it's just, like I said, because when you, when you dry that, that leaf material down, it goes through a combine so much more effective. You don't walk as much out the back. Uh, you can cut faster. You can keep more in there, cleaner sample. Sure. Yields more trucks a day going to the grain bins. Sure. You also mentioned cotton. And defoliating cotton, that that just about everybody does, right? Everybody has to do. You know, you yep. have to defoliate cotton, especially in picker-type picker cotton that we grow in Arkansas and the, the Delta Mid-South. Uh, you know, some of that cotton over there in, in, in Texas and stuff is not defoliated to the level that we do. We have got to really take those leaves off. We use, uh, we use ethapon in order to... Uh, get those bowls cracked open, get all of those bowls opened up. That way we can make one pass through the field and, and harvest the crop. We don't have to come back and make a second pass. Okay, so you mentioned soybeans, rice, cotton. Is there anything else in your region that people are doing any defoliation on? No, not in our area there's not. You know, sometimes you'll have to spray. You, you'll see people have to de desiccate on some corn in areas where they had bad morning glory issues, but but that would be the only reason we would desiccate corn. Sure. So that's really more about the weed control than you're saying. Right. Yep. Uh, how about pre-harvest interval? Do you do you run into problems where guys go, I I got to get out there right away, but I'm supposed to spray this. How often does that come up? Well. So that, that's the problem. You know, when you desiccate a crop, you've got to know that you got pre-harvest interval, especially with gramoxone. In Arkansas, there's a 14-day pre-harvest interval on gramoxone. Okay. So you, you've got to know that you're going to have that length of time. Yeah. And, 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 and you've got to start, and you've got to keep planting. You know, if, okay, I'm going to cut 200 acres a day, then when you start desiccating and they're ready, you need to just about desiccate 200 acres a day. That way you don't have a lot of beans ready. So that when you start, you're actually making these plans two weeks prior to when you're, you think they're going to be ready. <laughs> yeah. And then you got to worry about rain and everything else and breakdowns and you name it. Yeah, I know it's not easy. Turn, turns into a nightmare every day. <laughs> All right. But it's a worthy nightmare when it works. Yep. Yep. We've been talking with Rob Dedman. He is a consultant down in the state of Arkansas. Rob, thanks a lot for the time today. Really appreciate it. Great insight there. Sure thing. Thank you. You bet. All right, stay tuned. We'll talk a little more about crop desiccation, and we will get to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag coming up yet here on Ag PhD Radio. Do you have crop failures due to flooding, drought, or another event? You may need to consider a better burndown regimen. Adding just two ounces of New Farm Panther SC to your tank mix not only provides faster results, it provides residual that lasts. You gain flexibility to keep your cropping options open. Ask your dealer for Panther SC and get Panther power in your tank.
Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Early does it. Strong early season defenses against seedling insects and soil diseases are key to a successful season. The leader in Inferro Solutions, FMC, helps protect your fields from the start with a growing portfolio of Inferro innovations. You can't predict the future, but you can plant for it. Visit your FMC retailer or inferro.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions for use. Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. When I step on someone's farm, I feel like I've already walked a mile in their shoes. I spend spring on the tractor and fall on the combine. I see the excitement in my kids' eyes on our farm, but worry if there's enough of it for all of them. I make sure everything Case IH makes meets the challenges farmers face, because I face them too. My name is Ryan, I am a farmer, and I work at Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. All right, welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. We're talking crop desiccation here today in the Morton studio. Got Trevor Dale on with us next. He's with Valent. Trevor, how are you today? I'm doing real good. How are you, Brian? Excellent. All right, so tell us about desiccation with Valent products. Well, we're primarily looking at uh, Valor. Uh, Valor herbicide, there's two formulations, EZ, which is a liquid, and SX, which is a dry. Um, really the same exact products, same rates and everything. Just grower preference, basically. And um, it is labeled uh, for desiccation or harvest aid on many, many crops, including wheat, field peas, flax, lentils, dry beans, chickpeas, sunflowers, and I might might have missed a couple. I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I, how do you make it work as good as it possibly can? Talk to us about spray adjuvants, water, pressure, nozzles, that kind of stuff. 
Uh, that's excellent points. Um, so first thing is it needs two pints or, or one quart per acre of methylated seed oil. And if you're doing it by ground, um, 15 or 20 gallons is better. And by air, we really like to see five gallons of water. So, you know, when you talked about and nozzles, you it's, it's much like spraying Liberty. You want as good of coverage as you possibly can. And I'd also say um, similar to the Liberty timings in, you know, spray during the, the heat and the sun of the day. If you can, that's, that's just going to make it work better. Yep, I agree 100%. Okay, so how about timing? So there are a couple um, of factors here because we've got the pre-harvest interval, but then also yep. I'm concerned because if we go too early, we could actually hurt yield. So how do you get the timing just right? Yeah, so Brian, that varies by crop, but you want them all mature. And then every time in almost every field, there is some variability out there. Yep. Um, essentially, you want the vast majority of that field mature and going down, and I mean like 80% plus. Yeah. Um, you, you don't want to go kill a, an actively growing crop because, hey, it's not going to work very well, and you're just going to hit yourself on yield. So that varies by crop. It, it Valor does have a five-day PHI for virtually all of them except for wheat is 10 days. Um, you know, it can be tank mixed with, with, uh, other harvest aids, um, really depends on the crop and the conditions, you know, how much weeds you have out there and, and everything else. So, um, you can go, most people do two to three ounces, uh, in most, most of the crops mentioned, you can go up to three ounces and the, the higher rate just gives you. A little better um, burn down, but also uh, much better residual if you're staying in the no-till situation. Yeah, that's the thing I was going to bring up because there are some other products out there. Let's take Remoxone, for example, that Rob Dedman mentioned. Well, that has no residual, and the Valor does. So okay. when I'm spraying bare ground, I kind of know what I can expect out of two ounces of Valor and three ounces of Valor. How much residual do we lose because we have sprayed it over the top of the crop? I mean, is there going to be very much compared to normal? Yes. Yeah, there is. Um, it, uh, it gets washed off the residue. And I, I tell people this all the time. I remember back in graduate school, seeing the trials where we did um, harvest aids. And if you didn't, if you left it uh, no-till the next spring, you could see like you spray right to the lines like you sprayed it with no crop out there it's really pretty amazing actually you'd think it'd get caught up in the residue but no it it works as well if you desiccate um, dry beans for example and you do not work the fields um, it'll look in the next year just like you sprayed it with nothing out there hmm. so is this a growing market are more people doing desiccation or what What do you think is happening around at least the United yeah, States? Yeah, I, I think so, Brian. Uh, it, it depends on, but a lot of these, you know, there's, there's either quality issues with dry beans, for example. Mm -hmm. they, you know, you don't want them to be mature and get rained on because there goes your quality. Or sunflowers mature and birds come and harvest them for you. Um, so it, <laughs> it is growing. Um, <laughs> 
and it and it does depend on the crop, but yeah, it's growing. And then also there's efficiencies um, uh, with combining. You know, if you have your crop all uniform and mature and dry, it you know you can maybe pick up a mile an hour or mile and a half. So um, that's a factor as well. All right. Anything else you wanted to talk about with desiccation? Otherwise, I got a couple more questions for you unrelated to desiccation. Yeah, let's shoot with your questions. Okay. So over the last few weeks, I've been doing meetings with groups of farmers, and I keep hearing about how bad the weeds are. Well, you drive the countryside, and oh my goodness. I mean, stuff's going to seed. Weeds are going to seed. It's It looks terrible in a lot of areas. So fall valor, that's one big question that I get, and I guess I just wanted to have you talk about that a little bit today. I, I assume you're seeing more fall valor go out. Just talk to us about the use rates guys are using, what they're doing for spray timing, and the control levels they're seeing come spring. Okay, yeah, that's a great point, and I've uh, been working on that for many years. It is growing, you know, it's you know, it started in uh, fall valor prior to like lentils or some of these crops with very few in-crop options because at the time you could use Roundup and many others and get excellent control in your soybeans, for example. Well, that's not really the case anymore or cereals. A lot of good herbicides, but it's a fight out there. And so guys have been putting in valor with their fall burn down um, and no-till and, and seeing just much better weed control the following year. You, you still, the next year, you still go through and do your normal programs, you know, whatever they may be, pre's, um, cereals, you hit them with the in-crop grass and broadleaf products, but at the end of the year, you have clean clean crops, cleaner. It's, it's helping. Now, you mentioned they still do their normal program, but that's one question that I had for you. Let's say I go out in the fall with four ounces of Valor, because that's my preference. In the spring, yeah. what I've kind of told guys is, look, if you do it relatively late in the fall, I don't know that I want you to do more Valor again in the spring. If you do, it's got to be a low rate. I want you to get a couple other modes of action out there, but how do you feel about that? If I put four ounces of Valor out pretty late in the fall, do I really need to add more Valor again in the spring? Um, no, usually not. You know, if you're, um, that, that tells me you're really trying to do a, a good job on your weeds. You probably have been, you do four ounces late in the fall. Um, yeah, I would want you to come in early, uh, post-emerge with, uh, with another residual to keep it built up. But no, you're, you're right, Brian. If it's late enough in the fall and at four ounces, you're going to have definitely have residual into the next spring. Where I've seen the most interest in this has been the central Dakotas, especially where the guys are really fighting kochia. And I've had a number of guys that did this last fall and they said, boy, you could see it right to the line. I just had so much less, less kochia this spring. So I, I look at it too, where timing becomes a big thing. I, I mean, every farmer out there is busy during harvest, but in these years that are drier, and we have a little more heat, if you can get your harvest done even just a little bit early and have a little time to do some fall spraying, I think it's worked pretty well. Do you have any other comments yeah. for us on that? Well, that's an excellent point. And I always tell people, don't, don't do all your acres. And it is extremely likely 
that the next year you'll do all your acres. <laughs> um, and, and, and so many times guys are doing a burn down anyways, just need to add it to it. Right. You're, you're, you already got your application costs and your burn down costs. Yep. And, and then you see. Add it to it when you're going over the field. Yeah. And you see so many fewer winter annuals and stuff. And that burn down doesn't just have to be Roundup. I mean, we've thrown 2,4-D no. with it, Dicamba with it, whatever. So it works pretty well. well. We've been talking with Trevor Dale. He's with Valent. Trevor, thanks for the time today. Appreciate it as always. Thanks, Brian. You bet. All right. Stay tuned. We'll talk a little bit more desiccation and get to your questions right after this. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Utricia N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. When it comes to your tillage equipment, stop compromising and start doing more in one pass. New from McFarlane Ag, the Insight 5200 with an independent blade configuration lets you get more done in less time. Ideal for rocky or sticky soil, the 5200 has two sets of independently mounted blades adjustable up to 12 degrees, a unique chopping reel, and five different finishing attachments, giving you the perfect seedbed. Learn more about the Insight 5200 by visiting McFarlaneAg.com today. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's Zeopro Miticide from Valent USA. With next level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air, and confidently attack mites where they are. Make Zeopro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com slash zeopro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Hey everybody, come on in. The Ag PhD Mailbag is about to begin.
All right, our first question in the mailbag comes from Petey. He's out in Idaho, and the first time he sent us some stuff, we didn't get any attachments. This time, I only have one soil test, and he said he sent several, so Petey, I apologize. If you got more, just send them to me. Uh, This field is, uh, he calls it nursery. So he just wanted wanted us to look at his soil test. So I look at soil tests all the time, and, and... at a lot of these meetings I've been doing lately with farmers, I just said, I, I realize fertilizer is high priced. And a lot of people say, oh, I want to cut back. You know, I got to save some money here or there. And I'm, I'm just going, well, wait a second. Please don't cut something just to cut. It's fine if whatever you're going to cut is not making you money. But are you sure it isn't making you money? That's really my question. So when I look at PD's samples here, just as an example, um, he's got, the cation exchange capacity, by the way, is 22. So that means we'd call that a heavy soil. Not like a crazy heavy soil, but a heavy soil, just to give you an idea. Okay, the soil pH is 7.4, so it's certainly not terrible. And I believe the reason why his soil pH is high is because his sodium in the base saturation percentage is 3.7%. That's not super problematic yet, but it's already high enough where it's absolutely hurting his yield. So my first thought is being in Idaho, it's probably irrigated. And that's where I would say, check your water and see what you have for sodium levels there. The other thing that we look at, heavy soil, high sodium, almost always means we've got an issue with drainage. So I look at what your, how, how good your drainage level is. A lot of times, like in our region of the country, we're adding drain tile to fix that problem. And then eventually we can drive that sodium back down. Soil pH goes down, our yield goes up. Okay, but anyway, his potassium level is... 4.4% on the base saturation, and it looks like he's got 663 pounds in, I believe this is in the top six inches. So that's pretty good. Could he, and so I'll just phrase it this way, could he get by one year without putting much potassium on or possibly even any potassium? Yeah, I, I would say that's possible. Now, I'm not saying this is a long-term strategy, but I'm phrasing this up the way a lot of people have asked me, well, can I can I get by for one year? So, I, I mean, his level's pretty good right there, okay? It's not great. It's just pretty good. Could he get by with maybe a little bit less? Sure, I, I could absolutely see that that's possible. His phosphorus level, his Olsen test is 100, let's see, it says 152 pounds, Um it's okay. I'm not going to say that's great. That's one I would not be cutting back on. Um, Then I look at, let's see, boron, looks like one part per million, zinc, four parts per million, Uh, manganese, he's got six parts per million, copper, 1.6, iron, 11. So just about all these levels, I would call them okay. Not great. I just call them okay. So I don't know exactly what you're looking for here, Petey, but I would say you don't have anything that stands out to me as, oh, it's glaringly horrible other than that sodium. I'm just, I'm starting to get real concerned about where you're at right now. So definitely I wouldn't be cutting back in the phosphorus and with potassium, I'd still be making sure that I'm applying some, but you know, at least for a little while, you don't have to get real carried away. All right, we wanted to talk, go back to talking crop desiccation just a little bit more, and we're pleased to be joined by uh, Doug Goring. He is the North Dakota Department of Ag Ag Commissioner. Doug, thanks a lot for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Hey, Brian. Wow, what an honor. Thank you. 
So I, I want to talk about the, the desiccation thing, but before I get to that, uh, because I, I don't know if we've ever had you on the show before, what are the big topics that farmers are discussing with you in the state of North Dakota? What are your big concerns, your big things you're working on right now? <laughs> oh, my God. I don't know if we have that much time. Well, the quick summary, the Cliff's time. Notes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So supply chain issues are certainly... Uh, First and foremost, they're at the top. Uh, parts, supplies, uh, repairs, services, uh, lack of labor force, uh, you know, all the usual suspects, uh, fertilizer, crop protection products. I mean, people do think about the here and now, but they also are thinking about next year. They're wondering, you know, how far do they plan out? They're also concerned about EPA and actions from activists and the federal government and and the attention they're given towards agriculture, which in this case isn't necessarily good attention. Uh, there, there's just, they're on a, in a self-defense mode. Yep. They feel like they're trying to defend themselves, yep. defend their industry. And yet, uh, as, as you well realize, Brian, and I, I think all of our farmers and ranchers out there, we're part of national security it's food security it's economic security the most recent study done in february showed that uh, agriculture supports 29 percent of the workforce my god that's <laughs> that's amazing yes uh don't dismiss it don't beat up on it don't make it the problem child embrace it love it and uh assist it one of the biggest issues, Doug, that I've seen in the state of North Dakota in the last 20 years has been the amount of acres that go unplanted due to poor drainage. Is there yep. a lot more talk up there about anything that can be done so this doesn't happen quite so often? Because you talk about food security. If all of a sudden 20, 30 percent of North Dakota's acres go unplanted, that's a crazy amount of acres and a lot of food that's lost. Well, and, and to the point, you're exactly right. It's not only food, agriculture, and the economy that's affected. It is a soil health issue. Yep. As you have those inundated acres, you start to affect the soil health, and it takes a lot of years to correct that. Tiling has been uh, one of those great tools that can be used to improve soil health. But the other problem has been uh, the probably the biggest problem we've contended with is uh, some of how uh, NRCS has responded to the concerns and the assistance and the technical assistance we've sought hasn't been the same as what exists in South Dakota, Iowa, or Minnesota. And we've continued to have this battle up here. Now we're making some progress. But uh, when you're in Prairie Pothole region and Ducks Unlimited and other wildlife groups make you the target for wanting to preserve everything out there and believe that anything you would do to move one ounce of water someplace is detrimental to them they have probably been uh, our biggest foes on this issue and it's it causes a lot of problems to landowners farmers and ranchers so our topic today doug is crop desiccation can you tell us just a little bit about that in north dakota and what you kind of see in your state yeah so we know that it's it's beneficial, it's it's useful. Some of the things that we've asked producers to do is to think about, you know, we, we've done it so often now in the spring, 
think about your neighbors, think about the adjacent crops, the impacts, effects, talk to them. But we've kind of got away from uh, uh, thinking about our neighbors when when we get to pre-harvest burndowns. And North Dakota is maybe a little bit different than the rest of our neighbors. We produce 54 different crops commercially, a lot of pulse crops, <clears throat> peas, lentils, chickpeas, uh, dry bean production. I mean, we're number one in the dry bean production in the nation, but we also have potatoes, uh, sugar beets, sunflowers, canola, safflower. We have all these different crops out there that when you're not thinking about it, you just go out to do a pre-harvest burndown on your uh, wheat, for example, or barley, uh, feed barley, all of a sudden you have some different dynamics at play where you have tubers that are being formed in a potato crop and all of a sudden you're impacting uh, that production and you're not even thinking about it because it's, well, it's pre-harvest burn down. So it's important to think about what's going on in your area, follow the label, understand, you know, where there's some sensitivities around you and deal with it appropriately. Hey, I think some of the other myths. It's, oh, oh say, 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 Doug, I was just going to say, I, I apologize. We're up against a commercial break and we want to be respectful of your time. Would you mind hanging on through the break and staying with us for the last segment, yeah. segment of the show? That'd be fantastic. Absolutely. Okay, great, great. All right. Uh, stay tuned. We're going to talk just a little bit more with Doug Goring. He is the North Dakota uh, Ag Commissioner. So uh, we'll, we'll get more of his thoughts right after this. In a world of Veltima fungicide. Hey, let's do it less dramatic. Just say Veltima fungicide. Okay. Veltima fungicide. No, that's literally the same. Veltima fungicide. Still doing it. Veltima fungicide does it. Seriously, we just need you to say Veltima fungicide. Swift, simple, and secure. Didn't I? Veltima fungicide from BASF in cornfields this summer. Always read and follow label directions. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. What if your herbicide was easy to mix and tough for weeds to resist? Anthem Flex Herbicide from FMC offers the most effective mode of action for spring and winter wheat, delivering long-lasting control of grasses and broadleaf weeds, including Italian ryegrass, rat-tail fescue, and downy brome, plus weeds typically resistant to glyphosate and Group 1 and Group 2 herbicides. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's Zeopro Miticide from Valent USA. With next level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air, and confidently attack mites where they are. Make Zeopro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com slash zeopro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. 
In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD-TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here, live in the Morton studio. We're pleased today to be joined by Doug Goring. He is the North Dakota Agriculture Commissioner. Uh, Doug, you still, you and your family still farm in central North Dakota as well, correct? We do. We small grains and uh, row crop production and a few cows. <laughs> One of the things I've always admired about North Dakota farmers is there are a lot of them that raise many different crops. I'm like, boy, I can barely keep track of a couple crops here. <laughs> and I was looking at your bio about all the different crops you've raised before, and uh, yeah, I can barely count the numbers. So anyway, uh, I, I assume the reason why you and your family have done that for a number of years, the diversification, it's just because of the amount of risk there is when you farm in a relatively cold and pretty dry area of the country like central North Dakota, correct? Absolutely. It's it's a matter of, uh, you know, trying to hit it right, knowing that uh, when you're not necessarily uh, a row crop producer or a row crop production state, you don't have a lot of value added uh, to go along with that. So you got to find those niche markets. You got to find those opportunities. And pulse crops have certainly been one of them we've looked at. Sunflower production and uh, safflower. I mean, it's we've done a lot of things. Um, it, and it really, I got to say, it it really takes you back to the basics of farming. And every time you're switching crop, you're thinking about the rotation. You're thinking about the organic matter. You're thinking about all the nutrients and micronutrients. And uh, it just makes you a better farmer. It really does. And marketing is a big part of that, too. But we always have to rely on others to help us with some of that because it's too emotional. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Well, one of the biggest things I think has changed with just crop production in general in North Dakota is the emergence of soybeans as the number one acre crop at one point here just a few years ago. And I don't remember what what where the rank was, but I think North Dakota was either the third or fourth uh, biggest producing state for soybean acres, at least. And yeah. I, I was just in North Dakota doing some meetings a couple of days ago, and farmers were talking to me about two soybean plants that are supposed to go in in North Dakota. So can you talk to us about maybe those plants, or even if it's yeah. not specific to that, just other business development that has gone on in North Dakota in ag? So the uh, <coughs> excuse me, the two most recent announcements were two crush plants that are being built, one in the Castleton area, another one in the Spiritwood area. Uh, they're looking for a, a, a 
the product being oil to go into renewable diesel, not biodiesel, renewable diesel. We have a plant in western North Dakota that was built during the oil boom uh, in the Bakken era, which they were doing about 20, 22,000 barrels a day of uh, diesel fuel. It's really not economical. But after things kind of tapered off, they were losing money, it got sold, and they went and retrofitted it to look at using vegetable oil or soybean oil, canola oil, sunflower oil, corn oil, and uh, actually going through a process where it makes it into diesel fuel, where you wouldn't even know the difference without some of the issues you'd have to deal with on uh, the biodiesel side of it and selling it into uh, a premium market mostly on the west coast so the two plants that are being built are going to be supplying oil versus we always look at crushed plants as supplying meal for the protein right uh, the protein will actually be the byproduct in this situation <laughs> yeah the couple of farmers i was talking to about this the other day they go it's going to take a huge percentage of north dakota's soybean acres and i said well you know what that means there are going to be more soybeans grown in north dakota <laughs> most likely hey there's, there's you're absolutely right there, there's one other topic and and i know this is pretty controversial for a lot of people and so we don't have to talk about this if you don't want to but these carbon uh, dioxide pipelines that they're talking about running from the yeah. ethanol plants up into North Dakota. Uh, so, I, I mean, can you can you just talk about why it would benefit North Dakota to run all that carbon dioxide up there? Well, most of the most of the landowners and farmers don't look at it as being beneficial. Right. Uh, the landowners feel exploited and impacted just simply because um, it's coming across their land and they, they, there's just a lot of controversy around it. Yep. I, I know that a few farmers, uh, or I should say there's a, a large group of, of ag producers that finally feel that North Dakota has class six injection primacy, the ability to permit it. And we have two facilities and potentially three that are going to be doing carbon sequestration and, and selling that fuel into uh, the West Coast market, um, they finally feel like, you know what, North Dakota's finally getting ahead. Everybody else has been ahead of us for years. And, and I know that sounds a little selfish, but the other problem is, and with some of the conversations that have taken place, is that, okay, let's say we allow uh, 3.5 billion more gallons coming into the market and if you're going to sustain a market, and you know what happens when you oversupply a 1.5 billion gallon market with yep. 3.5 billion more gallons, yep. you lose the premium. Right. But farmers do it all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, they're, they're really concerned about what happens at that point. Farmers look at CO2 as being essential for life. It's part of the life cycle. And now we're going to store it forever just to get some Q45 credits on the business side of it. That's what has bothered people is, does that mean now we're going to buy into the fact that we're believing CO2 is responsible for climate change when no one talks about the, the real issue, which is water vapor is the largest greenhouse gas there is. And no one's talking about controlling that. No. Um, so... It, it bothers a lot of people that we're going down this road, 
And they're afraid that, okay, we'll take advantage of this. We'll do what the market wants, but are there others going to start to manipulate it and actually want to buy into this, uh, this ideology? Yeah. Now, I know you have to deal with politics every day. Fortunately, I don't. Um, so we try to avoid the talk of politics. So for anybody listening, I apologize. I had to get, I, I just, I wanted to hear what you had to say, at least about that topic. So we got about three mm-hmm. minutes left in the show. Uh, Doug, just tell us uh, maybe a little bit more about just trade or any, 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 some of the good things that are happening up in the state of North Dakota in terms of ag. Yeah, we got a lot going on this year. We had 11 trade missions planned. I there's a couple I had to back out of. Uh, we have Japan coming up. Uh, we're going to re-engage with the UK again. I was in London about seven weeks ago, uh, looking at the post-Brexit issue and establishing a free trade agreement. Working with uh, uh, Foreign Egg Service and some of my colleagues from across the United States. The Brits are very much engaged and want to do a deal. In fact, last night uh, I was in South Dakota for the Midwest uh, Export Conference. Hmm. I spoke there. I was on a panel, and we actually had dinner with the, uh, the, the with the United Kingdom and and some of their representatives out of the embassy. So we're very much engaged on that. We have Indonesia is in our sights. We also have Spain and Portugal on the uh, on the list this year, so we're really looking at trying to not just help North Dakota, the region, and the United States establish a bigger footprint in the global market. And uh, that's been my purpose when I served as president of Food Export Midwest. You don't go and just represent your state; you're representing all your commodities, your food processors, your food companies, and you take companies there to try and pave the way. While we, as uh, commissioners, directors, and secretaries, try to address the issues with phytosanitary and sanitary issues, and trade barriers and non-tariff trade barriers, so it's it's exciting. It's always good. It's consuming. And uh, you're certainly yeah. exhausted when you get back, but you love yep. it. Well, Doug, I just wanted to tell you we appreciate what you do. I, I, I know it takes a lot of energy to do all that travel and have all those meetings and everything else, but uh, we, but we need good people doing that. So thanks a lot. Uh, again, we've been talking with Doug Goring. He is the North Dakota Agriculture Commissioner. Doug, thanks a lot for the time today. You've been really generous with your time. We really, really appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. You take care, and my best to all the farmers and ranchers out there. All right. I echo your sentiments. We're certainly hoping for the best out there for farmers and ranchers here over the next few months. Harvest approaching on our farm. Uh, won't be long. We'll be cutting some silage and uh, and getting some grain out of the field. So, anyway, uh, hope you've enjoyed our show today. We talked a little about crop desiccation earlier. Uh, I wish we would have had a little more time for questions, but that's the way it goes some days. We'll get to more of those tomorrow. Thanks a lot for listening, and we hope you join us again tomorrow.